It's the GDUI Juno Report for August 2016. Well, we have a special show today, and I'd like to introduce our new co-host, Mr. Ken Metz of KPFK Radio, and also the president of Guide Dog Users of California. Good, uh, good day, Mr. Metz. And good day to you and to everyone listening out there. Glad to be on here with you. And uh, we, uh, I don't know, we, we, we thought we'd do a, a show and single out California. And, you know, too many people think that California is so special. And I've often thought, why California should have its own guide dog board and that's what we're going to pretty much focus on today is the california guide dog board unique to all other states in the union who do not have one except for california and ken do you have any idea why we have a guide dog board well initially dan it started in the late 40s and i believe 1948 is when the state board of guide dogs for the blind began in california one of the biggest reasons that it started was because there were many, many outfits that were trying to do fundraising to start supposed guide dog schools in California. And I guess they were sort of bilking people out of money by, you know, using the blindness, the guide dogs and all the things they do for people as a money catcher. But what would happen a lot of times is they would put these schools together on paper. In a couple of cases, they may have trained one or one or two guide dogs and then gone under, and all of a sudden they were no longer in existence, and the money went with them. So in order to protect the public, uh, the state formed the Board of Guide Dogs for the Blind, California State Guide Dogs for the Blind, uh, I'm sorry, California State Board of Guide Dogs for the Blind. Want to get it correct? That's that's correct. And yes, <laughs> and that is the reason it began. It was it was because of the various people starting these nonprofit organizations, uh, telling the story of the poor blind person and how the guide dog can help them get around and do this and do that, and so. And we're going back to obviously yeah. after World War II, right? We're going back exactly. to like 1949. Or... And people would give to almost any kind of an organization of that sort. And if you hear a clock there, that's just my chime clock in the background. Okay. You're not in downtown London? No, nah, not yet. And I don't plan on being there. It's not safe. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, oh, we won't go there. Um, anyway, so so that is what really began the the reason for this board. And so when they um, got that under their power, they ended up getting other powers, including the fact that they needed to license all trainers in California. And they had to go through a process where the trainers would take various uh, number of a various number of units each year to keep up with blindness and the causes and and what occurred with the folks that were blind and how they had to travel. And it was a great mobility for them to use guide dogs and so this is the way it began um th they ended up doing a lot of good work in the early days one of the things they did was uh, put in a, a clause that they would be as i said licensing any trainers in california well that meant then that people going to out-of-state schools, such as Leader Dog, Seeing Eye, Pilot Dog, 
um, guiding eyes and and others around the country. Um, th- th- you know, they, basically, these folks were not licensed trainers in California, but for sixty years, no one really enforced it because they felt that people had the right to make an informed choice either because of friends they knew that went to other schools, because maybe they heard about other schools from other sources and felt that the program was better for their specific needs um, or to their liking, or maybe they were going because a friend of theirs was going there. Whatever the reason, the person had the right to make that choice. Well, for 60 years, it wasn't a problem. All of a sudden, the state board said, you know, we have this clause in here. And it states that anyone getting any training from a guide dog trainer in California must have a licensed trainer. So, in the state of California, like, they must be licensed. State of California, in the, even if they're from Seeing Eye, or that's correct. Yeah. So, but as I said, no one enforced that for sixty years. So now, all of a sudden, about ten, twelve years ago, uh, the Board, the State Board of Guide Dogs for the Blind decided, and I don't know the actual reason, they decided to start enforcing this law. So even people who went to the seeing eye, which as most people know, was the first guide dog school in the United States. I believe it was 1928 or 29. And um, it's out of Morristown, New Jersey. So even if people got dogs from there and Let's say they came back here and maybe um, something happened. They might have gotten hit by a car. Uh, The dog might have been attacked by another dog. Whatever the reason, they might have needed some follow-up work. Well, all of a sudden, the board said, you can't come into California unless you are first licensed in California, which means you have to go through all the preliminaries that the licensed trainers in California go through. You had to pay the fee to be licensed. You had to take the test. You had to go and take so many units of of courses on blindness. Um, And uh, then you had to do a practicum of walking with a test dog and stuff to prove that you were in fact qualified to be a licensed trainer. And if you passed all of these exams, you became licensed. And so, that, that was all well and good, but then, as I said, once they decided to enforce this, people who had been trainers for 10, 15, 20, 30 years from out-of-state schools couldn't come to California to do follow-up work, and uh, in some cases, people might have gotten hit by a car, maybe not severely, thank goodness, in most cases. Um, and maybe the dog was just scared and needed a little extra follow-up work to observe, had to have some observation by the trainer uh, in order to get the dog back in its straight line. You know, dogs today, guide dogs, they say, can range anywhere from fifty to $70,000 a unit right. by the time they go from the birth uh, of the breeding program throughout the career of the dog, of the dog team dog and and graduate team so now we're saying that follow-up work we in the and let me say the california council of the blind who has provided uh 
this legislation and fortunately got this bill, SB 1331, sponsored by Senator Fran Pavley, who is just a wonderful person. She happens to be my state senator down here in Chatsworth, where I'm at. And she's, she's just a wonderful person. So she sponsored this bill now that would say that trainers can come in to do follow-up work. They cannot come here to do home training, to train someone uh, for a new dog. They can come in to, uh, to actually just bring somebody home and do training initially before that graduation occurs. But they can come in to do follow-up work because our feeling here in the California Council of the Blind and Guide Dog Users of California is the fact that these teams have already graduated. This is just follow-up observation, You want to, if you want to call it that, or advice and counsel through observation, which in many instances just can't be done by a phone call. Um, sometimes the trainer will give them ideas of what they may try, but in many instances, the person owns that dog after they've graduated, so it really is their dog. And um, so since they've already graduated, you're not training. I mean, if you want to look at training, each one of us would have to have a license because we supposedly are keeping our dogs in training on a daily basis. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I guess the concern here is that the trainers may come out here and there may be you know, issues that come up between the trainer and, and the graduate. And, and I guess the way uh, things have been going lately in, in general where, you know, people have been molested, people have been um, uh, harmed in some way, be it mental or physical. Uh, the state felt that it needed to protect all citizens or residents of California. Well, you know, our, our feeling, again, is still the fact that the school uh, out of California knows the, uh, the student or the graduate. The graduate knows the school. The graduate knows the trainers. The trainers know the graduate. The trainers know the dog. So who is better capable of working with that team but the person or at least the school who initially trained that dog? And, and this bill is, is doing pretty well, right? Yes. Yes. The bill so far has passed through the Senate. It has passed through the Assembly uh, Business and Professions Committee. I think it has one more hurdle, but every uh, unit that it has passed to date, you know, I'm, I'm always cautious. I hate to knock on wood uh, <laughs> to say it's wonderful, but so far everything has passed unanimously. And uh, as of right now, we're certainly hoping that it will complete its journey, go through the, uh, the full assembly now, and then goes, it will go to the governor's desk for signature, and hopefully he will sign it. Now, the other component to the board has always, uh, for a long time, been arbitration. And tell us about the arbitration aspect of the board, and is that a common feature that's used? Uh, by by uh, graduates, or has it ever been used, or what is the point of all that? Well, the arbitrations, the arbitration really began in the '90s, and um, I was actually involved in it at that time with Guide Dog Users of California in some of the testimony to the legislature, and 
The arbitration um, had to do with the fact that in those days, we did not own our dogs. The dogs were still owned by the schools. And sometimes if the school got a report that you were cruel to your dog or that you did this or that to the dog, which was not um, a good uh, method, uh, that, that again, it, it, you know, maybe you weren't feeding the dog properly. Maybe uh, you were ignoring the dog. The school could just come in and take the dog away. No questions asked. So in essence, people would go ahead and see this happening and they would call the school and say, uh, we saw so-and-so and they were cruel to their dog and this and that. The school wouldn't oftentimes even investigate what was happening and just listen to the public because it was good publicity. It was probably, uh, and these are only my words, I, I feel that it was good, uh, uh, good publicity for the school to just go and take the dog back it was bad publicity for the student or the graduate to to use the methods they were taught in training to correct their dog. Um, and, and uh, you know, the schools don't want bad publicity. And uh, the schools also utilize the public for all of their fundraising. So, you know, they would always side, well, not always, but I'd have to say 90% of the time from what I've heard, they would side with the complainer that uh, called them and come and take the dog away. So we worked in the 90s to get this arbitration. The school could have one arbitrator, the graduate could have an arbitrator, and the board would provide a neutral arbitrator. So that meant that they couldn't take the dog away unless there was arbitration, and that was if the student requested it. Um, of course, now we have ownership of, of our guide dogs in California. Uh, the schools work it differently between them. Uh, the Seeing Eye in New Jersey gives ownership immediately. Guide Dogs of America gives ownership upon graduation. Guide Dogs for the Blind gives ownership. Um, you've been there, I think it's after two years. And maybe it's a year. I don't. I'm I think not it's sure. a year. It may be a year now. So, so you know, the point is, after that time, they can't take the dog away from you anymore. You have to go through the normal sources, such as animal control. Now, the school can come and take the harness away. That they can do, but because the equipment is the school's, the dog is yours. So, the arbitration was to protect the graduates, so that before a dog could be taken away, um, uh, or in this case now, even the equipment, uh, the graduate can request an arbitration hearing so that all sides could be heard instead of just an assumption. You're listening to the GDUI Juno Report with Ken Metz and Dan Kaiser. We're talking about the California State Guide Dog Board. We'll be right back after we hear some hints and tips with your dog. Hi, I have a question. Yeah. I have a, a golden retriever yeah. who is um, doesn't take the heat well, so I was looking for some type of cooling device, and I just did not know. So if you could find out, I very much appreciate it. Thank you, and that's my question. And Ken, what do you think about putting on ice packs and and anything that cools cools down your dog in the summer? Well, you know. 
living in Southern California, and of course you're in Sacramento, so any <laughs> any time in both cases, believe me, we get the same kind of heat in the summer. And uh, I think it's absolutely wonderful because it'll keep the dog's body temperature down. Um, and, and I think the ice packs really need to go along sometimes with booties. Uh, the dogs hate those things, even though they're trained with them. They will wear them, but the booties are still not to, in my opinion, perfected well enough. They always seem to fall off somehow. But if you're in Phoenix, Arizona, you got to oh, yes. wear them. Or Las and Vegas. I've been there. Or I've Las been Vegas. Phoenix. Yeah. Las Vegas, too. Yeah. yeah. And uh, even even yesterday, my wife and I were out, and we were walking through a parking lot. We had no choice, and it was, it was 100 degrees out here. So that pavement, that asphalt gets extremely hot. And, you know, if the dog is just constantly moving, that's one thing. But a lot of times when you're doing something, you have to wait for cars to go by and they're just standing there on this hot asphalt. And even if you wear, you know, like slippers or something, or, or to me, even with regular shoes, I can feel the heat going through there. You so know the, imagine what, you know, they're bare paws. The best uh, dog booty I ever saw looked like a Hirachi. It had the tire thing on the bottom uh, for the tread. And then on the top, there were straps that went over the dog's foot and uh, on top of the foot. I thought that was a really ingenious design. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. Because the, the shoes I have, when the dog walks, it almost sounds like a horseshoe. <laughs> I mean, it's a plastic, but but it clops like a horseshoe. And <laughs> that's when I want to get my dog speeding up so they can be galloping or something. Yeah. But I, I would also contact your school and ask your school what they think. Uh, Roughwear is a good company. They sell a lot of good uh, yes. coolwear products and R-U-F-F-W-E-R-A-R.com. And if you have any hints or tips, call the Juno line at 916-250-2629. That's 916-250-2629. But it's still incomprehensible to me, Ken, looking at the history and I mean if I was from New Jersey I would sit there and go well I still don't get why you know we need a guide dog board and we'll this is just the opening discussion uh, here on on uh, mainstream about you know the the whole governance of, of guide dogs in particular in California and uh, you know I will I will say that I uh, I'm opposed to uh, the board uh, being a former lobbyist for the California Council of the Blind. I started uh, doing looking up the code sections that are responsible for, uh, say, the health, health and welfare of the student in the dorms, uh, the uh, health codes, the uh, Secretary of State's role, uh, California Secretary of State's role in um, fundraising and then you st and, and then the Department of Agriculture's role in the animal part and then you start to look at this duplicity of law that these that these schools are subjected to um, and that's primarily why I'm opposed because I think since back in 49 you have a plethora of plethora of laws now that cover, exactly what was meant to be covered in 49 with the establishment of the board. But you don't see, you see the duplication and you could 
easily just cut out all the other stuff. I, I think I think the fact is that the board has uh, decided amongst itself, in my opinion, uh, I don't want to speak for the council or for guide dog users of California, but in my opinion, the board has taken on more power than it really needs to have taken on. I think they, and, and they have done so with very little outreach to the guide dog handlers in California. And if you really talk to most guide dog uh, handlers, they're going to probably tell you they've never heard of the board. And, and so what kind of outreach has the board done? Now, we are asking in the bill that the board also in SB 1331, we're asking that the board also give out um, little sheets, uh, fact sheets of what they are there for to the students when they graduate from the California schools. And, you know, something I forgot to say before. There are also people who maybe get their dogs from New York or New Jersey or Michigan who live there and then they move to California. Why should they be penalized and have to be concerned about what California does with licensing when they actually um, have come from another state where they didn't require it? And another issue with the state board is the fact that they just have been going through a lot of uh, areas of working on best practices. And you know where they got a lot of their information that they've incorporated into their best practices? IGDF. IGDF, the International Guide Dog Federation. And they thought that the International Guide Dog Federation has some great things going, and yet now they don't want to really support the IGDF as being the wherewithal for doing the accreditation of the guide dog schools. So, yeah, you know, they used it to their benefit, and then all of a sudden they want to throw it under the bridge. And, and, um, and, and so we, we really just don't understand it. And um, I, I'm not exactly sure where the state board wants to go. You know, we also have a, a second bill, and, and that one's going through. And it took a while for the board to back us on that one, and that is... Um, AB 1824, which has to do with the attacks by other dogs and and further increasing the penalties for that. And we also wanted to make sure that people who may be just ta taking their dogs out uh, to relieve without the harness on and their dog gets attacked, we want to make sure that they too have the right to qualify under any kind of penalty as a service animal. And then the board didn't want to back that up. They said, well, you know, somebody else might be taking your dog out and so on and so forth. Well, our argument is, number one, if that dog, that's not a pun for number one, by the way, um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that our guide dogs uh, are still guide dogs no matter what. And un under the ADA, under the ADA, you do not have to um, actually have a harness or a jacket on the dog. So we are saying that while the dog is uh, not discharging its, uh, its duty as a guide dog, it is still a guide dog nevertheless. The, our, our whole thing is as long as a dog is under control, meaning it's on a leash, it's under control, 
Uh, personally, I don't think a leash should be longer than six feet long. And yet other people say their dogs, their pet dogs are under control with a flexi lead that can go 25 feet. Oh, give me a break. Yeah, you can't control a dog when it's 25 feet away from you. So, you know, we, we just have a lot of concerns right now. And that bill, by the way, is passing. We finally got the board to back us on it with maybe a couple of wordsmith changes. But other than that, they, they were at first they weren't going to back us with that. And then we also had the ACLU not liking that particular bill. I guess they wanted to uh, defend everyone who was a pet owner. But, uh, Dan, you've had dogs out. I've had dogs out. Uh, fortunately, my dogs have not been attacked. There's always a first time that it could happen. Uh, and, and sometimes you just go out there never knowing what's going to happen. And, and you know, we can't see some of those oncoming dogs. And a lot of those dogs, when they're in attack mode, do not bark or growl. They just come charging. Well, I think the the, the board uh, has missed several great opportunities. I, I know that when, when I've gone to court for guide dog discrimination, like a, in a taxi or a restaurant or whatever, uh, the guide dog board, and I, I understand that it, it doesn't, it can't, it can't deal with uh, criminal or uh, civil, a lot of the civil codes, because that's handled in civil court. But it would be nice if they could be advocates in rental. You know, they don't do anything for rental discrimination. They don't help out any of that. And and um, uh, I'm like, I, I just, I'm just like, what, what is the point? And I'm going to keep asking that question as we go along here in the next few weeks. And I know you'll probably go out and do some interviews. I'll, I'll interview some folks. And we'll, we'll try to get some light on this because it's still, if I was from another state, I still wouldn't understand. And I wouldn't understand why, if the guide dog board already had adopted all these regulations, why... I don't understand it from this state. <laughs> yeah. And, and if, it, if it adopted all these other regulations and then, then decided to adopt the IGDF, standards and 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 you know when jim uh, and i'll talk to jim at seeing eye and find out you know uh, what was his reasoning behind that what how does he feel now you know he'll probably be happy with uh, 1331 probably well you know we also have backing from the nfbc and their cagdu the california association of guide dog users and they backed us up have and have been backing us up in sacramento as well and of course they're working towards sunsetting the board next year so uh that would that would basically get rid of the board if it were successful i you know i i would think that the issues right now are so minute that this this could easily be handled through consumer affairs if there were issues and i don't know how much time we have right this second but i will say that also uh in california when graduates get th their dogs even in california the schools have to turn their the graduates name the dog they have and their address over to the state board of guide dogs for the, uh, the state board of guide dogs for the blind we feel that's an invasion of privacy especially when those graduates don't even know it's going there. Why do they need our names and all that kind of private information? If you go out and, and, and buy a car, the state's going to have the information only because of DMV. But that's an individual requirement. It doesn't mean that every time you buy a car that the dealer has to send it in. It's up to the individual. And also, also 
there is consumer representation on the guide dog board and, and in California there's only three schools so on in the guide dog board um, there's four representatives I understand and currently on, yes. and, and how many of those folks are from guide dogs to the blind in Sacramento I mean in, in Santa Fe all, all four all and, four and and they got a special dispensation for their Oregon campus I understand as well yeah and and then most of the graduates uh, in California um, I, I think this is true are from San Rafael right are guide dogs with the blind I would have to say that's they have most heavily uh, uh, used school in California because it's the one of the largest schools in the country so it would be I mean, I would I would think that 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 board would be ripe for well, I think it's conflict, conflict of interest. Yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. We were going and, the same as, place, as well as the fact that in SB thirteen thirty one, we're also asking that at least one representative be uh, proposed by the um, uh, California Council of the Blind, and one be proposed by the. National Federation of the Blind of California, and and then uh, we're asking for a third one to just be neutral. So we'll be talking uh, a lot more about the guide dog board and and, but listen, Ken, I should wrap the show up and uh, let you go and call this show a wrap. I, I'm really glad to have you aboard. And Thank looking, you. Looking forward to a lot of your contributions. I'll do my best, sir. All right. If you'd like to leave hints, tips, or suggestions for the show, record a message on the GDUI Juno line by calling 916-250-2629. And to find out more information about Guide Dog Users Incorporated, go to www.guidedogusersinc.org. For now... Safe travel. To either download or subscribe to the GDUI Juno Report, point your podcaster or browser at http colon acbradio.org slash gdr.xml. And you can also search on the iTunes store for the GDUI Juno Report. The GDUI Juno Report is copyright 2016 with all rights reserved by Guide Dog Users Incorporated.